This is um, a poem by Nikki Giovanni. I was born in the Congo. I walked to the Fertile Crescent and built the Sphinx. I designed a pyramid so tough that a star that only glows every 100 years falls into the center, giving divine perfect light. I am bad. I sat on the throne drinking nectar with Allah. I got hot and sent an ice age to Europe to control my thirst. My oldest daughter is Nefertiti. The tears from my birth pains created the Nile. I am a beautiful woman. I gazed on the forest and burned out the Sahara Desert with a packet of goat's meat and a change of clothes. I crossed it in two hours. I am a gazelle so swift, so swift, you can't catch me. For a birthday present, when he was free, I gave my son Hannibal an elephant. He gave him for Mother's Day. <clears throat> my strength flows ever on. My son Noah built new ark, and I stood proudly at the helm as we sailed on a soft summer day. I turned myself into myself and was Jesus. Men intone my loving name, all praises, all praises. I am the one who would save. I sowed diamonds in my backyard, my bowels deliver uranium. The filings from my fingernails are semi-precious jewels. On a trip north, I caught a cold and blew my nose giving oil to the Arab world. I am so hip, even my errors are correct. I sailed west to reach east and had to round off the earth as I went. The hair from my head thinned and gold was laid across three continents. I am so perfect, so divine, so ethereal, so surreal, I cannot be comprehended. I mean, I can fly like a bird in the sky. I love that poem. <laughs> because for me, it speaks both to the, to the um, places where we're neurotic <laughs> or ego-tripping um, or defended in a way, and um, at the same time, being able to love ourselves and to have a sense of humor. And um, even though it feels as though in this retreat we have um, gone through many transitions and many journeys and many turmoils, still the silence and the form has been a kind of container that holds our neurosis a little bit. But when we go home, when we transition back into home, and it might be as soon as getting into our car or um, uh, having to wait for the people you said you would give a ride to and finding yourself totally irritated, um, you know, as soon as we start to transition in, we, we are confronted with our, the... Um, the ordinary responses of the mind, and we're confronted with our particular pre preferences and neuroses. 
And I wanted to um, start this talk about transitioning back from a retreat into um, um, life outside of a retreat by putting in a big plug for loving our neurotic selves. The fact is that we are not fully enlightened yet. That um, <laughs> sometimes we're very far from it. But that never ever means we don't deserve to love ourselves. It never ever means that we have to forget love. When we find ourselves ego tripping, it doesn't ever mean that we don't have to love ourselves. And it feels to me that that's really the center of the vision over and over again, is that deepest, deepest commitment to love. Even when we forget it, and even when it feels very far away, and that there's no possibility of loving, still, if there's some place inside of our heart that catches our attention with a tiny dim light that says, I'm very far away from it now, but that's fine. That's fine. Even if I can't love myself now, even if I can't love other beings in my life, that's okay, because I know I reside in the intention to orient my life towards that love. Not that I insist or that I demand I be loving in the moment, but that over and over again, I can take the deepest refuge and sustenance in trusting that I have the best intentions. And just trusting that those wholesome qualities that live in our hearts will guide us. And we just have to connect and we just have to remember that. You know, and so um, that being said, <laughs> we forget. And I think that's okay. It's really okay that we forget sometimes. And it's really okay that sometimes we forget a lot. And here is why I think Sangha is so important because we do forget a lot. It's because the nature of our lives and the fact that we aren't enlightened means that we do forget. And so then the question is, well, how can I institute certain things in my life that will help me remember? Because I know I can't remember by myself all the time. In fact, having that as an expectation might even be unrealistic. But I know that I can do certain things that help me remember. And, you know, it might be different for each of us. What are the things that we can do in our lives to help us remember? But one thing that feels pretty much true for most people most of the time is connecting with a Sangha, a group that meets and sits, is invaluable. I cannot imagine my life if I wasn't teaching, because I have the gift of your presence 
and of your practice in an ongoing way through my life. And you help me to remember. When I give a Dharma talk, your listening helps me to listen. Oh, that's right, I forgot. That the, the beauty, the beauty about Sangha is that we remind each other, that when we share our practice, we remind each other. Sangha is invaluable. It is absolutely invaluable. Whether it works for you to say, okay, what my, the kind of Sangha I want is that I'm going to do retreats, or if it's meeting weekly with people that you live with, or if it's going to classes, um, if it's maintaining some kind of ongoing contact with a teacher at Spirit Rock, for example, or joining one of their groups, however it works for you, having that structure, just in the same way that you placed yourself in this structure and you know right now the, the incredible ramifications of the structure, we still have to place ourselves in structure outside of, of this retreat as well. We, it feels like that's, that's really, um, for me, a critical piece. I didn't have a daily practice for the first four or five years of my Dharma life. I <laughs> it seemed totally beyond me to, to try and sit. I just, I just could not find it inside of myself. But I went to five retreats a year. Now, I had the kind of life I was living in a little chicken coop in Mendocino, and I had low over, overhead so I could so that I could afford to do that. But partly it's like looking at ourselves and saying, what works for me? What, what works for me so that I don't ask myself the impossible? And then judge myself and whip myself because I keep forgetting and because um, I, f I find that that, that that openness and softness that I had in the retreat totally has gone away. And then I feel a failure. It's kind of a setup. So um, creating, creating structure. Now, um, I don't actually do it that often, but my partner listens to a lot of tapes. She doesn't go to a, um, a lot of, um, she goes to some uh, drop in sitting groups at Dharma Dana, but her thing is listening to tapes. Tapes are a really wonderful way that she remembers. And when she's feeling um, off-center, she'll just go into her study and listen to a tape. And so that might be another way that um, supports the reconnection. Um, Sometimes, even though I'm a retreat junkie, um, <laughs> it, the, it's because our minds always like to split, the nature of the mind is to split, sometimes our minds split our practice into saying, this is practice and this isn't. You know, kind of like sitting on the cushion is practice and this isn't. And it has been a... Um, it, it's sort of, <laughs> it's hu 
willing to see all of life as a practice. That every single moment of our life is actually an opportunity to practice. Whether it is sitting at our desks, if our jobs are desk jobs, whether it is driving, whether it is drinking or eating or preparing food, whether it is in a conversation or not, actually this practice is about life. It is about how we live our lives. It is not about the cushion. The cushion is the training ground for how we live our lives. In that genre then of all of life, is practice, nothing is ever a problem. There is no such thing as a problem. There is only our aversion. That, 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 that's the most basic guideline that I live with. And so whenever I experience anything as a problem, and I do, I experience quite a few things sometimes as a problem, to me it's this red neon line, light, flashing, saying, uh, 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 aversion, aversion. <laughs> and then I know what's going on. I know that I'm not acknowledging aversion. That's all that's happening is that I'm not acknowledging my aversion. And if I can at least be honest with myself and just say, the issue is I don't like this, it immediately changes my relationship into a relationship of practice rather than reaction. And the same with clinging. If something is a problem and I am really wanting it and not getting it, it's that neon light, uh, 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 uh clinging, 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 and I'm not acknowledging the clinging. You know, and I feel like it is such a beautiful, beautiful practice because I feel like it demands that I stand on an ethical base and not blame. Not blame the world, not blame the situation, not blame people, and not blame myself either for the aversion or clinging, but just to see, oh, okay, this is the work I have to do. And that doesn't mean that I demand that that work happen instantly. It can't. It can't. The nature of our minds is that we are still in a developmental process. But this is the basis of right speech. Then at least I communicate in those situations honestly and say, I am having a struggle with this. I'm having a problem with it. Not you are messed up or you have to change, which is the first initial thing, right? Something, you know, when we have a problem, it's because we want something outside of ourselves to change. That's <laughs> it's so great. I mean, it really is. So uh, uh, sometimes uh, I... Um, Sometimes I watch myself sticking my heels in and I go through a, in a tantrum for a night or a day or something. I am not, I am not going to, you know, I'm not going to do this, whatever it is. You know, but there's something eventually that, uh, that calls, that says, 
what really is happening here, Rena? You know, what's really going on? If I take that, that mantra, no problem, it is no problem, then what is really going on here? And I'm forced over and over again to acknowledge that the problem is my relationship to what's going on. And really, that is such good news. It is such good news because it means I am not a victim to the situation anymore, but I replace myself in a relationship where if I relate to what's being problematic, there becomes the possibility of healing. That's why it's so empowering for me to have that mantra, no problem, <coughs> because it gives me the opportunity to relate to what's going on. Well, I was talking to um, <laughs> I was I was uh, talking to Eric today because I'd been having these conversations with my partner, and on the phone she just said to me. I just can't do this anymore. I cannot be in this relationship with you going away so much. I've been away a lot recently. And, um, you know, and I was sitting there with Eric saying, oh, <laughs> I could feel my resistance. I just, I don't want to give up going uh, teaching retreats, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to have to go back to therapy and do all this work, you know, around intimacy. I don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> but it's so wonderful, even though I don't, knowing that I will. You know, knowing that I will because that there's that place inside of me that knows that my heart depends on that work, that, that our hearts depend on that work, that when there is a problem, it means that I have to do my work and I have a problem. I didn't even think I did. She had to point it out to me that, I mean, we have a problem in this case. We have a problem. In this case, I didn't even see the flashing neon lights. Someone had to point them out and say, hey, listen. And it's like, Oh, no, but I know, I know that, that, that openness and that love that is my vision that I want to nurture inside of me demands that I do the work and that I look at the places where I'm not doing the work. So I was, you know, I was talking to Eric about it and sort of talking through my resistance a little bit. And um, and I, this is just the other part that came to me about it, which is that when we don't do our work, we actually create suffering for other people. And each one of us here. I know has experienced profound suffering because there are people in the world who aren't doing their work. And the greatest gift that we can give, not only to the reduction of our own suffering, but to other beings, is to do our work. 
And in my discussion with Eric, I saw the impact of what it would be to turn and to say to my partner, no, I don't want to do it. And the incredible pain that would cause as against doing the work and us together, whatever the future holds, will come from that open-hearted place where we know that we've both done the work and how much less pain there is in that. What a beautiful gift to give ourselves <coughs> and to the world to reduce suffering in that way. So, um, so no problem, the mantra of no problem. Sometimes, sometimes the the, um, the things that we can change are relatively easy. And um, I want to read uh, just another one of these little letters to God. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my, my brother Larry and me. In this tradition, our, our beings are seen as mutable and conditional. That is, that particular conditions give rise to particular energies. Again, we brought ourselves to these conditions, and certain energies from these conditions gave rise. Sometimes we feel really stuck, and we forget the conditional aspect of life, and that if we change particular conditions, we change the resulting feelings and qualities that arise inside of ourselves. Sometimes that's as simple as remembering to eat, for me, because I have a tendency to skip meals. And then I notice late at night I'm really irritable because just because sometimes I haven't eaten enough, you know? Or sometimes, sometimes it just takes going for a walk or a swim in my, in my day, and it immediately changes the energy. It is profoundly liberating to see ourselves as mutable and changeable, and as dependent on conditions, because we are at this point dependent on conditions, and that we can change conditions. And so the question is, what conditions do I need to change in order to support the wholesome qualities in my life to grow? What conditions do I need to change in my life in order to support the wholesome qualities to grow? very simple thing for me, you, uh, it, and it's really helped, is arriving at places early. Now, <laughs> that was a really bad habit of mine. I would, I would set out late and I would drive, and some of you have heard about my driving habits, they're terrible. 
I get very irritable with people. I tailgate them. Chaz talked about tailgating last night. I tailgate them. I'm irritated when I get a red light. I don't let people in if they're trying to get in. I'm like a really horrible driver. You know, and <laughs> you know, and I had to say to myself, because when I looked at my life and I thought, well, you know, where, where am I losing my love, that love that we're talking about? And I, and I said to myself, the place I lose it most consistently is driving. And so, <laughs> I had to say, well, so what do I need? So, I never put on my radio or tape recorder because I can be more present if I'm driving. Okay, so, I'm like this. I get in my car and I say, <coughs> this is my thing, I get in my car and say, I give thanks to the earth for the oil that she gives me, her blood, that I might drive on her to deepen my practice. That's how I start. And then I'm like, I know I'm turning the key, my hands are on the driving wheel, I'm looking back there, I'm reversing out of my driveway, and I'm like the whole time, touching, relax, Serena, relax into your chair, it's okay, breathe, I know I'm seeing, Ah, the tree. Oh, look, post office on the right. I'm talking to myself like this the whole time, trying to ground myself in the present. I am a, I, I can't say I'm, I'm where I really want to be yet, but I'm better. I'm better. I have more time. I'm less irritable, and I'm better. And I've just really taken it as my training. And when I'm at a stoplight, I say to myself, this is an opportunity to connect with my breath and my body. And it isn't easy. I am not saying to you it is easy. I feel that habitual momentum just to be irritable and not to breathe, you know, and not to relax. <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean about loving ourselves when we're neurotic. Because you, you have to love yourself. Here you are, you have an opportunity to breathe and to connect. And you're just fighting, you know? You're like, no, I want to be irritable at this red light. <laughs> but it's great because, you know, when we take these opportunities, it gives us a kind of ease and confidence in our lives because we know we're placing ourselves on that road. So, looking at the conditions in your life and seeing over and over again what you can do to what's the word? lessen the negative energies and to build the wholesome ones, the skillful ones. And that's right effort. Changing conditions. We've, we've talked also about the importance of ethical conduct, of non-harming. I feel like that's my other guiding mantra, it's probably yours as well, that deepest commitment not to hurt and not to harm. And what, what that means in terms of all the activities that we do in our life. 
I do something really little and it makes me feel very good and it's around clothes because I know that um, a lot of the cheaper clothes that are made now are made in sweatshops. And um, in order not to contribute to that, um, I buy uh, all, almost all my clothes are second-hand clothes. And um, it's also just part of my practice of renunciation, of sort of letting go of something that is, is not horribly difficult for me, to tell you the truth, but is, is some place of every now and again, you know, getting the Land's End catalogue or one of those catalogues and sitting in the toilet and flipping through it and watching my, oh, I could buy this, oh, I could buy that, you know. <laughs> I watch my, my energy, you know, move up. I'm delighted at looking at these things I could buy. And just knowing that I'm not going to. And it's, um, it's very beautiful and it's very small. And there's just different ways that we can practice non-harming that, that speak to us, you know, of, so, that we, so that we have that sense of being beautiful in the world because we're taking care of our life in the ways that we can take care of it. The, the, other, the other way for me, and I know you must all have little ways, is that I recycle plastic bags. You know, and um, I, I actually watch my irritation because Shah's not into recycling so much, so the plastic bags get placed behind the faucet. And there's, you know, so when it's my turn to do the dishes, there's like the old broccoli bags and the lettuce bags, plastic bags and all those bags, you know. And I'm like, I take the time to wash them and rinse them and hang them, up, hang them on a little string with some clothes pegs. And then I have to turn them inside out and then I have to put them away. And um, I can't say it's always a very pleasant experience for me, but there's something that feels very beautiful in it. You know, of again that commitment to saying, here's a place where I can practice non-harming in the world. You know, and it, it, what, what these little practices do for us is that they become a mirror for us of our own beauty, you know, and of our caring for the world. And you can feel the world, not like those plastic bags are saying to me, oh, Thank you, Arena. But kind of, I feel like they are. You know, I kind of feel as they they hung out on their little line. I feel like there's some way where the world's saying thanks. Thanks for doing it. So, um, the practice of non-harming. So um, just to, I just wanted to um, um, uh, mention that actually all the positive qualities are practices like patience, for example, like equanimity. Um, someone mentioned being impatient. That was their middle name. I can totally relate to that. Um, the practice of patience is really a beautiful practice of just saying, I can be patient. I can be patient. Karma is our deepest friend because karma rests on intention 
and all we have to do at the at the least and sometimes at the most is to say I can't even be patient now but may I be able to in the future just that turning of the mind that's the turning of the mind to the other shore that that turning from the habitual movement of the mind and the heart to the other shore is the rests on our intention. Can we connect over and over again just with that intention? I can't do it now, but may I be able to do it in the future? And already we're sowing the seeds of patience. Stretching in that way, stretching around generosity. It might not be ginger beer that um, is your particular thing, but just looking at the just the very small ways that that we can start to practice generosity in our lives. So. This is um, a poem by David White called Statue of Buddha. Your hand moves in the gesture of welcome, your lips in the gestures of praise. You believed in your own sound, and so everything you say is still being spoken. In that first step away from home, you came so far and all alone. Faithful to all things as you met them, until finally everything bowed to you and everything spoke to you in its own voice. You were the child whose first step encompassed the four directions. You said, heaven above, earth below, I alone and sacred. Creation means finding the new world in that first fierce step with no thought of return. I pray that each one of us takes that first fierce step with no thought of return. Deeply committing ourselves to that farther shore, to finding that heart of freedom that lies inside of us and taking that first fierce step over and over and over again so that we can say, I am sacred. So let's sit for a moment.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.